0: Hello, and welcome to Fieldfisher's Data and Privacy Matters podcast. Today, we're going to give you a roundup of key legal updates from January 2024. I'm Sophie Milne, a trainee at Fieldfisher, and I'm here with Chloe Abbott and Lorna Cropper, and we're all based in
1: Fieldfisher's
0: London Tech and Data team.
1: Hello, I'm Chloe, and I'm an associate in the Fieldfisher Data and Privacy team. And I'm Lorna, a director
2: in the Field Fisher Data and Privacy team.
0: Despite it being only the first month of the year, anyone hoping for a quiet introduction to the year will be greatly disappointed. There has been no shortage of material to select our content from. Please note that this podcast will be released with an accompanying web page that will provide a hyperlink to each item covered to allow you to take a deeper dive. Firstly, we are going to turn our attention to the EU Data Act. Chloe, can you please introduce this act and tell us who it is most relevant to?
1: and what obligations the Act imposes. That's right, the EU Data Act was published in the official journal this month, starting its 20-month timer before it will become applicable on the 12th of September 2025. There are some longer windows for products not yet placed on the market, and for certain contracts. It's a key part of the EU strategy to make the EU a leader in a global data-driven economy. Can you now please tell us, Clary, who this act is most relevant to? Well, the short answer is a lot of stakeholders, many companies and users alike. It's of particular concern to manufacturers of connected products who offer their products to the EU market and providers of related services. Connected products which are already commonplace in society, wearables, lifestyle equipment, Um, Connected products also across vehicles, in cars, ships, aircraft. Then there's home equipment and consumer goods. So it's a broad scope of products intended to fall within the remit. It will also be of particular concern to users in the EU of connected products or related services. Public sector bodies who may request access to data in exceptional circumstances. Providers of data processing services to customers in the EU. This is particularly applicable to cloud service providers and also to participants in data spaces and vendors of applications or professionals using smart contracts.
2: Well, that's a lot of individual stakeholders and a vast scope. And I think what's important to point out is that this act is concerned with both personal and non-personal data. So again, a lot of data to be involved too. So now, Chloe, can we turn to the
1: obligations of the respective parties which they need to comply with? Yes, of course. So in terms of the obligations, the key provisions include making data accessible to users, specific requirements to prevent unfair contractual terms related to data access. There's also obligations to make data available to public sector bodies and in relation to switching between data processing services. And finally, addressing unlawful international governmental access and transfer of non-personal data, as you just highlighted. The ambition is that it will enable both individuals and businesses to have more control over their data through a reinforced portability right, allowing for copying or transferring data easily across different services where data is generated through smart objects, machines and devices. For more information about the Data Act, you can check out our blog, which will be provided in the list of sources.
0: Thanks for that, Chloe. And actually, that's not the only EU Act making headlines this month. In fact, a leaked copy of the consolidated version of the EU AI Act has been released, but the finalised version is expected in March, pending approval by Member States and the European Parliament. Whilst most parts of the AI Act will not be enforceable until 2026, the prohibitions on specified categories of banned AI will come into force in late 2024. As the EU AI Act will soon be adopted, the EU Commission has announced that it will create an AI Office to assist with implementing and enforcing the forthcoming regulation. Whilst the AI Office will issue guidance to establish harmonised rules across the EU, and to assist with drawing up of codes of practice and conduct at EU level. Its work will not affect the powers and competencies of national competent authorities and bodies, offices and agencies of the Union in the supervision of AI systems, as provided for by the Act, and there is no intention to duplicate activities. The AI Office will also implement international rules and principles such as The G7 Code of Conduct and Guiding Principles for Developers of Advanced AI Systems. I'll now hand back over to Chloe for details about the ICO's AI activity.
1: Yes, earlier this month the ICO launched its consultation series on generative AI, and this series will examine how aspects of data protection law should apply to the development and use of the technology. The first chapter covers the lawful basis for training generative AI models on web scrape data and is open until the 1st of March 2024. Over the coming months, the ICO has said that it will share a series of chapters to outline their emerging thinking and interpretation of how the requirements will apply to the UK GDPR and Data Protection Act. And more generally, the ICO has said that AI is a priority of theirs and we can see a nod to this in the ICO's consultation on the draft data protection finding guidance. This was issued in October last year for public consultation and does note that high-risk processing involving the application of new or innovative technology would be taken into account in an assessment of the seriousness of the infringement.
0: Thanks for that, Chloe. It seems like AI will be keeping all legislators and regulators and every other stakeholder busy for this year and the foreseeable future. Now turning to the European Commission announcement that it has upheld all 11 data adequacy agreements. Lorna, I noticed that the European Data Protection Board released its second coordinated enforcement action, which focused on the DPO this month. Can you please tell us about the outcome of this?
2: Certainly, Sophie. This was the EDPB's second coordinated enforcement action, and on this occasion, focused on the role of the DPO, a topic chosen due to the crucial role the DPO plays in ensuring data protection law is applied. And under the GDPR, the DPO is a person with expert knowledge of data protection law and practices. And the DPO is able to apply the law and promote the protection of the rights of the individual. 25 DPAs across the EEA took part, and the results are drawn from an arguably large pool of 17,000-plus replies across a range of sectors covering both public and private entities. The report is positive despite the concerns and challenges of some DPOs, which are familiar concerns and have been around since the GDPR became applicable and they include the lack of a designated DPO, even if mandatory, insufficient resources or expert knowledge for the DPO, DPO DPOs not being fully entrusted with the tasks required under the data law, and the lack of independence or of reporting to the highest level of management. To address the challenges outlined, the report does make some recommendations for organisations DPOs and DPAs themselves to strengthen DPOs' independence and to guarantee that they have the necessary resources to carry out their tasks. The report encourages DPAs to carry out more awareness raising activities, information, and enforcement actions. The emphasis on recommended enforcement action, I think, is a wake up call for all businesses and organisations to examine their need for it. DPO, and for those with an existing DPO, whether internal or external, to ensure they mitigate against any of the challenges this report identifies. We've also seen another document of note by the EDPB in January, and this one was its second one-stop shop case digest, this time focusing on security of processing and data breach notification. The report is accompanied by an annex of hyperlinks to a vast number of final one-stop-shop decisions, as well as a select number of individual DPA decisions and a handful of CJEU decisions. The digest itself provides valuable insights about how DPAs have interpreted and applied GDPR provisions in diverse scenarios involving hacking, ransomware, and accidental data disclosure. Not only will case handlers at DPAs assessing security incidents and the security measures in place have a wealth of analysis, but the analysis is also valuable for controllers and processors who, when assessing whether their security measures are appropriate, both before and following a data breach, so I'll hand it over to Chloe now for some more news from the EDPB.
1: Thanks, Lorna. Yes, I'd like to mention something that caught my eye this week, and that was from the EDPB, and launched a website auditing tool, which says that it can be used to help analyse whether websites are compliant with the law. In terms of how this actually works, we understand that it generates reports to reveal cookies, use of local storage, unencrypted web form transmissions, etc., And the announcement also says that it can be used by legal and technical auditors. So I suppose the key takeaway is it's better for you or your website designer to check your own website for compliance before your DPA does. And as mentioned, we will circulate a link so you can investigate this further yourself. Um, And it's not only the EDPB creating software to assist its enforcement work. The ICO are also developing a website auditing tool This time it is an AI tool to identify websites using non-compliant cookie banners. The ICO is really focused on advertising cookie compliance and has reported about the success of its work in this area. You you might even remember that in November last year, the ICO wrote to 53 of the UK's most visited websites to set out concerns about users not being given fair choices over being tracked for personalised advertising. The websites were given 30 days to update their advertising cookie user options so that they aligned with legal requirements. Um, And the key element there is to ensure that it's as easy for users to reject all advertising cookies as it is to accept all. So the ICO has reported that they've had an overwhelmingly positive response to their call to action. 38 organisations have made their cookie banner compliant and a further four committed to reaching compliance in the next month. The ICO has also said they are seeing a ripple effect of other organisations updating their cookie banners as well. The ICO is not stopping there either. Stephen Ormond has said that they will continue to target the next sets of most visited websites and the organisations ignoring the law surrounding advertising cookies or similar tech can expect to face the consequences.
0: Wow, thanks, Lorna and Chloe. Some really interesting insights there. I'll now turn our legal update spotlight onto regulatory fines, and I'll start with Amazon's appeal on its fine of 746 million euros that has been issued by Luxembourg's Data Protection Authority. At the time that this fine was issued in 2021, it was the highest penalty ever issued under the GDPR. And this was replaced only in May 2023 by the Irish regulator's 1.2 billion euro fine against Meta, which you may remember. The penalty against Amazon stems from a complaint that its targeted advertising system was not based on free consent. We have no details about the matter of the fine in accordance with the processes of Luxembourg. Quite unlike other DPAs, and whilst the tribunal's decision will be made public... The CNPD is unable to discuss specific cases in detail due to local laws, so we are unlikely to find out everything on this. Amazon has also made the headlines this month with a fine from the CNIL. Chloe, could you
1: tell us a little bit more about this, please? Sure. Amazon has been fined €32 million Euro, uh, by the French regulator for putting in place an excessively intrusive system for monitoring employee activity and performance. The regulator carried out inspections in several Amazon warehouses in 2019, following press reports and complaints about its practices. And the regulator found that several breaches, including in relation to data minimization, failure to ensure lawful processing, transparency and security. And as an example, it found that Amazon Systems allowed the company to access every detail of employee quality and productivity indicators collected through scanners. The Kineal has also fined Yahoo 10 million euro for breaching consent rules when placing tracking cookies on user devices. According to a 2020 investigation carried out by the Kineal, Yahoo placed around 20 advertising cookies on users' devices when they visited its main website, despite not receiving consent to do so. The regulator declared that this was a breach of French data protection law, as placing cookies for advertising purposes requires explicit consent. And as we look at both of these, it's perhaps interesting to note the length of time between the date of the non-compliance to the enforcement. However, now we are almost six years on with the GDPR, and from the details in the One Stop Shop Digest, it is clear that we can start to see themes and trends. So now I'll hand over to you, Lorna, as I know you have been looking at some other fines, although not in the millions.
2: That's right, Chloe, thank you. And two of the fines I've been looking at are the Belgium fine for Black Tiger and the ICO on HelloFresh. Black Tiger was fined by the Belgium DPA for just short of 175,000 euros. And I find it interesting because it's an example of both administrative fines and corrective measures. So we see DPAs using a range of their enforcement powers. There were three fines issued for unlawful and unfair processing, failure to respond appropriately to data access requests, and various infringements relating to the recording of processing activities. There was a key finding in the decision highlighting that Black Tiger could not rely on its legitimate interests since the personal data collected indirectly could not be deemed necessary to pursue the interest of maintaining updated records of the data subject. One corrective measure imposed a temporary ban on the processing of the personal data for data subjects for whom Black Tiger possesses contact details until Black Tiger had individually notified them about the processing of their data and given them the opportunity to opt out. Whilst the ICO published a handful of finds focused on direct marketing this month, I want to focus on HelloFresh. Whilst the volume of spam emails is remarkable, at 79 million, In seven months and 1 million spam texts, it is how the investigation began that I find most interesting. Not only did the ICO receive direct complaints, but there were 7,726 complaints made to the Spam Message Reporting Service, which highlights how individuals are aware of their data protection rights and will complain if companies and organisations do not get this right. In fact, Field Fisher is hosting an in-person workshop on the 7th of March to discuss direct marketing in
0: detail. And you can find out more about this event on our website. And before I wrap up, just a quick reminder of the approaching deadline from the ICO to update legacy contracts for international transfers with the UK Addendum, or UK IDTA, by 21st March, 2024. Do let us know if you need any advice or support with implementing these updates. And that's all we have time for this month. Thank you for joining us for this monthly roundup of key legal updates on the Field Fisher Data and Privacy Matters podcast. If you have any questions about today's updates, of course, don't hesitate to contact us. And if you found it useful, do make sure to give us a like or review on your podcast channel of choice. As always, Thanks for taking the time to listen. Thank you Lorna and Chloe for joining.